Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. Today, I'd like to take the time to answer a viewer's question, at least to the best of my ability. It's a particularly interesting question uh, that requires more than 15 or 20 minutes to really try and unpack it all, but I'll do the best that I can. Um, the question that the viewer asked was about the idea of being able to um, have a sense of ownership over other people and and not in the sense of slavery like the idea of personal proper property at least not directly but um the idea of kind of belonging to other people what kind of what kind of responsibility do we have can we actually belong to someone else in some sense and the question actually comes out of a particularly famous film uh that she referenced in asking the question, and, and the film is Breakfast at Tiffany's. And if you haven't had a chance to see it, uh, I highly recommend you do. It's of course, it's a bit older and uh, famously stars Audrey Hepburn. And there's a fair amount of interesting material. It's obviously cinematically very important uh, film in terms of its time frame and its impact on society, but there's also some problems that arise out of it, some issues of race, but also issues of sexism. But in this case, uh, there's some particular particularly important quotation that comes out of the text or comes out of the film. And so just to, to quote a bit of it, um, so there's an interaction between two characters that are engaging in something of a push and pull in terms of romance. And um, one of the characters, uh, Holly, is less inclined to a sense of belongingness to another person, that she wants to be able to kind of engage in relationships as she needs, but also be able to exit as she needs, and, and to some degree also to be able to use people as she needs, like to be able to marry for wealth or so on and so forth. Uh, this other character, Paul, um, is the struggling writer and he has something, uh, uh, it seems a, a sexist mindset, but also a, a more kind of settled down mindset. And he's in love with her and <clears throat> wants her to kind of participate in relationships in the way that he wants her to. And so they have some interesting dynamics. So um, he, for example, he says to her, I love you. And she replies, so what? So what? So plenty, I love you, you belong to me. She says, no, people don't belong to people. Of course they do. I never let anybody put me in a cage. I don't wanna put you in a cage, he replies, I want to love you. And she has some interesting responses in their interactions in terms of kind of like being like a cat and that, you know, uh, you know, people can't really own cats, so on and so forth, which is which is interesting insofar as it's pretty clear to me that for the cats in my life, they, they obviously own me, right? <laughs> and I cannot own them. Um, and a, a particular famous moment, uh, Paul says the following to her, you know what's wrong with you, miss whoever you are, you're chicken, you've got no guts, you're afraid to stick out your chin and say, okay, life's a fact, people do fall in love, people do belong to each other, because that's the only chance anybody's got for real happiness. And so there's quite the statement here about when people can actually be happy and the fact that people actually can belong to each other. And that's, it seems to be suggesting that this is also what we mean by love in some sense. And given the fact that he says, um, you know, I love you, you belong to me. I mean, that's, I mean, that seems to smack of definitely uh, a, a raging sexism. And given the time frame of the film, <laughs> uh, it probably is. The question then becomes, well, is there anything else kind of of interest to say here? Can we unpack this? 
and try and understand, well, is are there other ways of understanding this idea of kind of belonging to people? And, and I think there are. Um, so obviously, at first blush, the issue simply becomes one of objectification. To say that someone belongs to you does bring to mind that issue kind of of slavery, right? Uh, that you can own someone, but you can't technically own people, right? You, you can own things. You can't really own a person, which is why, interestingly enough, it's so problematic, like in a wedding when someone says, you know, who gives this woman away? Um, well, you can't really give people away. You give things away. And, and that statement comes from that history of literally trading women as in the same way that you would trade, trade livestock or trade uh, other kinds of commodities. You can't give people away you give away property. And so the problem of slavery, whether it's been um, slavery in terms of, 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 of African-Americans here in the, in the States or the treatment of women basically as property, ends up with this problem where you realize they are people, but they're not being treated as people. In other words, we have human beings who we're treating as objects. And since we're basically pretending that they're objects instead of people, we can own them in our kind of own delusional way. So, well, so then there's one way of looking at it is basically what he's saying is, is, is you're my slave. I own you and you basically have to do what I want and I can dictate your suffering as I so choose and, and that you have a, a responsibility to that. Now, what makes this a little bit, I think, of greater interest in this particular film is the fact that he doesn't just say, um, you belong to me. He's also saying we belong to each other, right? So there is this idea that at least in theory, right? He also belongs to her. And so now you have a problem because objects can't own other objects. And so if what he's saying is, you belong to me, you are an object, then he says, when we belong to each other, there's a problem of, well, wait a minute, how is that possible? If she's a possession, she can't possess things because she's technically not a person in that regard. And we could, and, and I think we could argue that, where you could say, well, technically you could have a slave and that slave could uh, arguably own a, a tool. But if you were to talk with any slave owner here in the States back in the day, you know, 1860, they would say, oh no, they don't really own that tool. They're my slave, so I actually own that. In the same way someone might say, oh, well, my cat doesn't really own their collar. Maybe they think they own it, but, you know, or my cat thinks that they own this toy, but I can take it away, see, and I can just throw it out and I can do whatever I want. So if he, if, if, if Paul here really means that uh, she does in fact actually own him, there is a problem in terms of saying that he's thinking of her only as property. So is there any other way that he could mean something else and if so what does he what does he in fact mean and so there's some interesting ways to look at it one is um uh frankfurt in his work reasons of love makes some arguments that at least in my understanding i'm relatively sympathetic to in terms of he's trying to kind of cash out what it means to be in love uh and, and not just in love but to love someone what do we mean by love in a certain sense and what kind of responsibility does that engender? Do we have more responsibility uh, to the people we love than to other people? And um, are we justified, say, in saving the life of someone we love over the life of someone else who we don't love? Say, you know, we're in some philosophically experimental situation where it's like, oh, well, you know, you, you, you 
either save this person or this person, but you can't save both. And one happens to be someone you love. Is it okay to save the one that you love because you love them? And there's a lot of argument to be had there. And I'm not really going to get into the to the nitty gritty about that, that we can, if you're interested in future episodes. But uh, for Frankfurt, there's, it kind of kind of comes down to this idea of, if you look at how human beings are, we, we really can't get past the fact that we're kind of self-focused or incredibly self-focused or entirely self-focused. And every good thing we do seems kind of reducible to something that uh, in some way benefits us even if not directly. It's like that famous Friends episode, right, uh, where Joey and Phoebe are arguing about that. Can I ever actually do something that's truly altruistic? That isn't actually, at the end of the day, kind of in the background, good for me. Um, so if I save a child from a speeding bus, well, maybe I'm doing it because uh, I want the accolades. Or if I'm not doing it for the accolades, if I'm not doing it for the newspaper article, maybe I'm doing it because I believe I'll go to heaven if I do it. Or maybe I'm just doing it because I'll feel horribly guilty if I don't. Um, or because it makes me feel good to do it, or even if, because I feel like it's the right thing to do and I can't live my, with myself if I don't, it, it keeps reducing kind of back to, well, I'm doing it for me. Well, Frankfurt points out, it seems that, well, yeah, that seems to be true, but then how do we account for altruism and how do we account for love? Well, one way of looking at it is actually that as we engage in love, we expand our sphere of ourself in a certain sense. And so that, in other words, Okay, I, when we're very young, the only thing that really ends up mattering is this individual agent. But as we grow older, we recognize and kind of subsume other agents, other people into our idea of our own self. And so the harms that are done to them are in essence actually done to us. I mean, there's some interesting kind of like Freudian ways you can look at that, like being kind of expelled from our mothers, like out of the womb, is a, where we stop actually being connected to someone else and where their harm is also done to us. And that by engaging in love relationships, we're kind of trying to return to that, to that sense of, of what is done to other people is done to us and, and vice versa. And so maybe then the idea of belongingness and to say, well, you belong to me is, is, an, is a, kind of a way to cash that out is basically to say, the harms that are done to you are also done to me, and maybe vice versa. That when I see you struggling with something, this in fact makes me sad, because it's basically as if I'm struggling with that, or if you were to die, um, there's a sense in which part of me is in fact lost. And I think for someone like Holly, this is a huge struggle, because she's going to say, well, so this is engendering a lot of responsibility that I don't want. I should be able to go do and live my life or end my life as I so choose without feeling like, oh, well, this means that I'm in fact actually doing this to so-and-so and Paul over here. So then the issue kind of comes one of responsibility and kind of what kinds of responsibilities do we actually uh, have to other people and how does that how does a love relationship kind of impact that? Um, I think one way of looking at it is, again, trying to cash out the idea of belonging and what does it mean to belong to someone. Um, and one way of looking at it is kind of the slave way, but another way of looking at it is also the idea of like belonging to uh, a group. Um, to, to say I like, I, uh, I, be I belong to a certain group, I, I, I belong to the group of philosophers, right, doesn't really mean that they own me. It instead assumes a kind of membership, not not dissimilar from the way Frankfurt seems to be kind of talking about this growing sphere 
of, of care and, and, and um, identity with others that, well, there's a membership belonging this idea. And so maybe when Paul's talking about this idea of we belong to each other, maybe what he's saying is, is we're kind of members of something kind of beyond ourselves. And not to be too cliche, but this idea of like we, we belong to this group that constitutes the two of us. And so to say we belong to each other isn't maybe we own each other so much as, as it is, is we're part of this group together. And in so doing, we engender certain levels of responsibility to each other. So if I say, well, I belong uh, to, the, to the grouping of, to the set of teachers, or I belong, you know, I have membership in, 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 in a set of philosophers, also suggests that I have a certain responsibility to them insofar as um, the things that I do as a teacher uh, can really impact the way people view teachers and uh, the, the rights that teachers have. And so errors that I make can reflect very, very poorly on them and, and, can, do, and, and can do that group harm. I can do other teachers harm by being a bad teacher. In the same way that being, if I'm a disingenuous philosopher and if I don't really try and think about things or if I'm dishonest, uh, philosophically speaking, uh, I, I do harm to this whole, to this whole group. So perhaps this is to some degree what Paul means when he says we belong to each other. That again, this idea of a, of a reciprocal, reciprocal harm, and that um, your actions, in a certain sense, reflect on me. Now, it, again, it's hard to escape like what seems kind of to be an inherent sexism, even with with the mutuality there. Like, oh well, the things that you do out there, wife, you know, reflect on me, and I want you to think about that. And and there's huge problems that, you know, not that long ago, people really genuinely viewed marriage, for instance, as something where the woman actually was basically part of a man. So by definition, he couldn't rape her. He could force her to have sex, but it didn't count as rape because it just meant that um, she wanted to. Maybe she wasn't acknowledging it out loud, but she must have wanted to because she's just part of him. So I think one way to look at this is is to look at the work of Nell Noddings and in her work she does a lot of work on care and kind of what it means to be in reciprocal relations relationships in, in terms of care and the importance of care and what one kind of comes to realize is care is also kind of inherently self-sacrificial um, and and it, and it means the willingness to put others before oneself and so maybe maybe Frankfurt is a little bit off in that idea that it's about the self. Maybe somehow care really is about other people, though it seems really hard to be able to make sense of that, at least in like a Western philosophical kind of a way. But there is um, something to be said for, at least for me personally, the way that I cash out ideas like being a teacher, that even for Nell Noddings in her work, there's something of the importance of the reciprocation of care in a care relationship. But being a teacher, it seems fairly obvious to me that you have to be willing to care about people who don't care about you. Otherwise, you just can't do your job very well. And it's part of what you sign up for, right? So you have to put as much care into all of the students, even the ones who really hate your gut. Sometimes you have to put even more care and effort and be willing to sacrifice your time and your own personal well-being for those students who really, really despise you. Not dissimilar from being a pastor. If someone's a pastor and she only cares about the prisoners who care about her, that's not a particularly, I, we would think generally not a very good pastor, right? So uh, similar to being a doctor, you have to care about your patient's welfare, even if they don't like you, or even if they're pretty rude to you. And so 
there does seem to be something of the idea then that um, care and love walk hand in hand with certain levels of responsibility, even when that, or especially when that's not a reciprocal thing. And so maybe that's, maybe that's some of what's happening here to try and kind of like tie it all together in some nonsensical way with Paul, right, and Holly. Maybe part of what he's saying here is, is, well, I feel a responsibility to you and, and not, not for you, but a responsibility to you. Because the idea of saying you have a responsibility um, for someone, again, that's kind of paternalistic and unwelcome, but almost the way we would describe being a parent, so hence paternalistic or, or uh, maternalistic, this realization that we can say that we belong to someone without it actually meaning ownership, um, though it can still be frustrating for the loved person, right? Um, by this, what I mean is, I tend to be very careful about saying my cat, um, because I don't think the cats in my life, which is what I'll say, I have cats in my life, I don't think they really feel owned by me. So to say that I have a cat, I think in other people, to them, that means, oh, he basically has a cat slave, right? like in the same way that I might have a desk or a chair or a book. But it's a little tense because I could also say something like, um, that's my brother or that's my father or that's my mother, right? I have a brother, I have a father, I have a mother, whatever. And I don't really mean ownership in the same way that I might mean when I say I have a desk or that is my desk, that is my sister. So I don't mean ownership in the same way there. And especially when it comes to parents, it's interesting because I think for many parents, they would argue that even when their children don't love them or don't want to be around them, whatever else, they're still their children. And what do they mean by that? Well, I guess we could say like biologically speaking or something like that. But if we're trying to cash it out in a more kind of loving and caring way, what that means is I have a responsibility to that person regardless. And by responsibility too, I don't mean responsibility for, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to do things that the person doesn't want or force them to, to, to experience my love if they don't want to experience my love. But it basically means that I am, I, I have responsibility to them insofar as they are people whom I'm willing to engage in self-sacrifice for. Um, so if they ever do come to me and need my help, and, and so at least for myself, and I, get to, I guess at this point, this is just kind of a Michauism or how I think about love and care relationships, philosophically speaking. If I were Paul in that circumstance, I guess what I would have meant, and I hadn't articulated particularly well, would be that whatever it is that this person, this friend, this loved one wants to do, even if they need to go, that when they come back, or if they come back, or even if they don't come back, that I still am willing to be there for them. And that ends up just kind of being again, a Nick Michauism, and everyone has to make their own decisions about that. But for me, I mean, I can think of, there's a lot of people in my life who I, well, they're not really in my life anymore. I don't know them. Um, they've, you know, they've gone off and done, done their own, their other thing. But I believe because we're friends, or we were friends, that that means that that membership in that particular group or whatever, however we want to cash it out, basically means that I still have a responsibility to them. And so even if that person, if I haven't talked to that person for six, seven, eight, ten years or whatever else, or they've done something that really hurt me, that if they need me, that I'll still be there for them. I'm not sure if that's what Paul meant, but to me, <laughs> it's a, 
it's a better way of reading it than, um, well, that he owns Polly and, uh, and that she has to do what he wants. So with that, um, I hope you have a lovely week.